What is happening? I hope you have had a fantastic week so far. If you're tuning in, you're listening to the official Electronic Atmosphere podcast, a show created to help all producers and DJs get ahead of the game in the EDM industry. As the competition grows tougher and tougher every single day, because of how fast EDM is becoming more and more popular worldwide, you've got to be taking solid steps in order to progress in your musical career. In this show, we will feature a different artist every single week in order to give you their background story on their career and give free value and free tips on how to become a world-renowned producer. Not everyone on the show will be a big-time producer, but everyone on this show has learned the fundamentals, the mindset, and the right information in order to be successful to make it big-time in the future. Whether you're just a fan of the artist we are featuring that week, or someone looking to build a real career in the music industry, this podcast will be worth your time. I promise. This show is brought to you by Electronic Apparel Company, a clothing company created to help spread the word of good music and good health. We help individuals around the world express themselves better through their clothing on their body. And we have everything you need at Electronic Apparel, so please go learn more about us on our website at electronicapparelco.com. In this episode of our podcast, we are joined with a producer from Bristol, UK, named DJ Will Clark. Will has a work ethic like I've never seen before, and hearing this guy talk was so funny and so entertaining because this guy just has a great personality and he has big, big goals. From playing 12-hour shows at his local clubs to signing with Dirty Bird Records with Cloud Von Stroke, this guy has come a long way because of the work ethic that he has put into the music industry. So please give the show a good listen, and I promise you're going to get a lot out of the show because Will tells you exactly what he did in order to make it this far into his career. So thank you, and I hope you enjoy the show. Let's get right into the interview. So today, in the fourth episode of the Electronic Atmosphere, we are joined with a very special guest, an artist who I've been a fan of a very long time, so I'm very honored to have him on the show. Let's say hello to techno house artist, Mr. DJ Will Clark. How you doing, Will? What's up, man? How are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. So why don't you give our audience a quick little, you know, quick little tidbit about your childhood and like, you know, where you're from and stuff like that. Um, so that's deep going in. Going in deep, first of all, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, geez, childhood. Uh, I was brought up in, back in the UK, in England, um, in it's easy for me to say that I'm from Bristol because that's the closest city. I'm technically actually from a tiny little village. It's not even a village. It's, it's called, it's classed as a hamlet in the UK, which is, it's tiny. It's a place called Clua, which is next to a village called Cheddar, which is actually where Cheddar Cheese is originally from. Um, so that's a, that's a nice little fact for you all. Um, and yeah, I think, I I I pretty much lived in the UK most of my life until I started touring more in uh, America, and now I live I live in Detroit um, half my time, and in the UK the other half of the time, um, and traveling around the world doing my thing really. Um, so that's kind of where I'm from. Um, what do you want to know? <laughs> I don't like. There's, there's so much like. Yeah, yeah, I know. Childhood, I know. I know. Yeah, childhood yeah. is like Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, but 
Yeah. All right, nice. I've been nice. Yeah, why'd that's, you that's me. why'd you decide to um locate yourself in Detroit? Cool, that's a tough one actually, because I was I initially moved to LA um when I first moved to America. I then from LA I moved to New York. And then I was gonna move back to New York. Um I went back during those times I went back to the UK. Um and then I was gonna move back to New York, but I was at the point where I kind of was just bored of paying shitloads of rent. Um and I was just like, you know what, let's just try a different city. Um, I, a friend offered me a place to stay in one of their apartments um, when I moved to Detroit. I lived there for like three weeks and then started renting a place downtown just to see if I get a feel of of the city, really. My, my Detroit shows have always been really strong. I'm super lucky to have like a really strong following in Detroit. Uh, so I've got quite a few friends here. Um, that's been like one of my closest friends, a guy called Troy, who owns the the Grasshopper. Uh, he's been booking me for about four years now. So I I rented a place for a few months, and then I was at the point where I just decided to buy a property. Really, so I bought a, bought a house here. Detroit's an interesting place to live in. I'm um, be completely honest; it's not my favorite place to live in the economy was obviously screwed a long time ago here so there's a, a lot of like poverty here um, which is really sad to see but it's kind of on the up it's on a very slow up um, compared to what everyone says it is but I bought I bought a place because property is pretty cheap here um, and it was more of like an investment for me um, I got a dope place I'm built currently in the process of working on my studio here which is which is in my house as well, so that's always handy. Yeah, man, that's that's kind of where I got to in Detroit. Don't get me wrong; it's probably not going to be my my home for the rest of the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> New York is definitely an end goal for me, um, and end end goal is probably be back in the UK in the countryside somewhere. Gotcha. When you're when you retire from your producing career and your mixing career, dude, I don't think I'm ever going to retire. I love this way too much. Um, there's a lot of big DJs that and producers that are nearly in their sixties that are still on the road. And I, I want to, I've got a lot of things that I want to do in the future. That's not just based around DJ and I've got mostly based around music, but I've got a lot of things I want to achieve. And I, I don't, I, I truly think if you love something so much, like, you, there's no you don't need to retire what's the point of retiring from something that you absolutely love exactly it's just it, it makes no point unless like touch wood nothing happens but unless like something health-wise related that makes you have to retire then yeah that's different but i still wouldn't want to yeah i love that and i feel like you should be you know continuing your career as long as you can if you love what you do yeah and i think it like i i like building brands I like concepts and that and I truly think that like there's a lot of artists out there that have like been very successful more than once under different aliases and like reinvented themselves with music it's kind of an endless thing really Mm -hmm. um I know I like some of my closest friends they've they've been big writers for like huge pop acts and then become 
very big pop acts themselves after a number of years of writing for other people um and and vice versa the uh, big djs that have just been like you know what i just want to produce um and produce end up producing for a lot of people um so the, the, and with music there's so so many ways to there's so much so many ways to make money in music although the money's not as good as what it used to be back when it was like selling hard sales but it's there's still a lot of money to be made mm-hmm. like tv tv film etc etc things like that so i just think as if i as long as i love what i do then i'm happy don't get me wrong there's always days where you're like am i allowed to swear on this by the way um i mean sure why not <laughs> um like there's 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 days where like you're like well i can't be bothered with this not bothered i just when like everything gets on top of you and you're like why am i doing this etc etc at the end of the day i feel that everybody has that in everyday life it's just normal life and still at the end of the day you're like you know what i fucking love this (laughs) so it's kind of it's kind of i'm lucky man i'm lucky to be in a position where i do something that i enjoy that much yeah that's awesome and I also, I also want to transition to a little um, funnier topic. Can you tell the listeners that don't know where you get your signature phrase, do it for the cuddles from? So it's kind of like an inside joke um, between three of my closest friends back home. And it was just an inside joke where I, do you actually know the story? Have you heard of it? I actually have not heard the story. Okay. So you got an exclusive here. Um, it's, <laughs> back years ago um when i wasn't i wasn't as i wasn't as successful as i am now i was producing music but i got to the point where i was like right i need to lock myself away for like year year and a half two years to just like really knuckle down and concentrate on what i really want to do and in that time i i just split up from from having a girlfriend and i was like look i'm i don't want a girlfriend during this i don't don't want anything to do with like a female relationship if that makes sense so I don't want anyone distracting me or anything like that or me allowing somebody to distract myself um so like I'd still like don't worry I'd still go on dates with loads of girls and things like that and not loads but like people in 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 Bristol and things like that and but the thing is I'd literally just like I'd just make friends with people. I wouldn't sleep with anyone or anything like that. <laughs> so, like, all my, my friends were like, what the fuck, Will? Like, I don't get why you're not, like, make, taking things further, et cetera, et cetera. Are you just doing it for the cuddles? And it literally just, like, caught on from there, really. Um, <laughs> and then I started hashtagging it on all my posts. And then I turned it into a clothing brand a couple of years ago. And... Yeah, kind of the rest is history. It's kind of like turned its, it's like made it into its own little thing, really. It's, it's like your, yeah. it's your personal brand now. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. Like, yeah. it, it's quite funny. Um, it's proper goofy, going to be honest with you. It's like, but that's me. Like, I'm not one of those people that like care about what anybody else thinks about me. So like, I know it's not uber cool, but <laughs> it's, it's fun. It has a, a good place in my heart and it's yeah it's it's always funny i personally think it's hilarious i think it's so funny and and that jacket that you have um where it says do the calls in the back i forget what it says before but 
Don't do Actually, it for the I money. Don't. It says don't do it for the money. Don't do it for the fame. Do it for the cuddles. Yeah, <laughs> that jacket is fire. That's yeah, sick. it's good. It's a good one. <laughs> and then, so I'm sure everyone wants to know this. Um, how did you first start getting into producing music? Um, so I started. I like always wanted to since I since like the age of nine. I started like learning how to DJ and I used to do like, I used to DJ like weddings and shit like that and birthday parties. When you were nine? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was like, yeah. And like local caravan parks or like trailer parks as you would call it. Like they're like holiday destinations in the UK. Um, so like there would always be parties there. And like, don't get me wrong. This is like shit cheesy music. Um, but I was always in, like my brother got me into like dance, electronic music. And then I think the age of like 12 or 13, I went to a, a school called the DJ Academy in the UK, um, which is, was a school that they would just teach people how to DJ. You'd go like once a week on a Monday in Bristol and they'd, they'd do it in a club actually. And they'd there was like a lot of people. There was like, 30 people a class and they'd put you into individual groups on like big on levels I was like at this beginner and then we all learned how to DJ really uh it was like a it was a cool like community thing obviously I was the youngest like I think the next eldest from me was like 23 and I was like 12 um and then at the, at the end of the of the all of that we ended up throwing a party and I, I think I got, I got throughout, I got thrown out of the club because I was obviously twelve. Um, <laughs> but we, I ended up getting let back in and then played. So yeah, my first like actual club, club show was like when I was twelve, and then I just carried on playing um, till I was about fourteen, just messing around on decks in my bedroom and throwing parties here and there with friends and little things like that. And then at 14, I bought Cubase, uh, which is a, it's a production, music production software. Didn't really know how the fuck to use it. Um, and my t- I had a music teacher at school, um, Mr. Bailey, his name was. And he was like super cool, uh, like very current music teacher. And he actually came to my house and like helped me out. Um, a little bit and kind of showed me my way around Cubase a little bit um, and then sadly he left my school and the the new music teacher that came in was an absolute bellend he was a fucking idiot um, <laughs> his name was Mr Taylor <laughs> and he was the one that told he was the classic everyone's got one but he was the classic person that was like dance music is not a genre of music you'll never be successful in dance music blah 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 so we've proved him wrong uh and then i went to college which in the uk college is different college is 16 to 18 i went and studied music technology there at a place called bridgewater college um in the uk and i was taught by a guy called ben there was a couple of guys, uh, Ben Amos, who's actually quite a quite a renowned drum and bass producer in the UK called Cybin. Um, 
and he taught me a lot of a lot of uh production techniques really um we'd like stay behind after after classes and just we'd like write records together and just like I just learned a lot from that really although looking back at it I probably learned more after I left college because I was like more into it so I left college when I was 17 slash 18 moved to Ibiza and then I had like a, a, a residency out there um, doing doing mu- uh, DJing out in some like beach bars and things like that. And I did that for three or four years. And then when I got to like 20, 20 I think I was, can't remember the ages, too long <laughs> ago. Um, I was like, right, I, I need, me just being a resident in Ibiza isn't going to benefit my career. It's not going to get me any further. I just need to like put my head down and just write music. So I pretty much just did that and just learn and learn and learn and made mistakes and released records that I regret releasing, signed records to labels that I regret signing to, um, made a lot of mistakes, but they weren't mistakes that was going to destroy my career. They were just the mistakes that most people make because they're eager and impatient, really. Um, I just wanted to be a big DJ and then by (laughs) working out that you have to have good music. (laughs) So I just carried on writing in my studio at home and just like working my ass off in the studio, really. Um, Think, yeah. Okay. and That's that's where we're at. Nice. And I also want to go back to what you said before where you noticed that your career was kind of at a standstill. What were yeah. some of the main things that you did different that made you really propel and progress in your career as a musician? There was two points in my career that really made a difference. The first one was I released a record called Big Booty on Worthy's Anabatic label. Um, that was the first record that I released that got any real support from any big artists. So literally like, most big most of the big DJs were playing it like Jamie Jones was playing it Eats Everything was playing it MK was playing it Seth Troxer was playing it Patrick Toppin was playing it and that was just when Patrick was getting big so that was like the first time that I had any kind of recognition from anyone and I think that was in 2014 I believe and then from 2014, that actually that year, I quit music, which sounds kind of crazy. We can get back to that later on. Eventually, at the end of 2014, I signed my first record to Dirty Bird. And from that, from signing my record to Dirty Bird, it doesn't, it's not as easy as it sounds, but my career kind of blossomed from there, really. Um, I what what I've learned a lot in the industry it's it's all based about relationships. So I the minute I signed a record to Dirty Bird, I just b- built relationships with everyone on Dirty Bird, and including Claude, Justin, Ardy, and all the people behind the scenes at Dirty Bird. So Fernando, Darren, Darren's the label manager. Fernando, 
is kind of the head. He deals with a lot of the events, Lisa, and of course, Andy, who's uh, Claude's wife. And just, I think it just being part of that family really helped my career. Claude put me in touch with my agent in America, Max, Max Braun at Paradigm. And, and from that, I, I was, I was in a very strong position. My agent is one of the best agents in, in America. My, the label that I was associated with is, it was no, it was big in America, but now it's probably the biggest label in America at this moment in time. So I was in a really good home and all it was up for me to do was just, I just had to write good music from then. So and that's where we're at, really. They was, those were the two big things that happened in my career. Don't get me wrong, I'm still nowhere near where I want, to, want it to be. Nowhere near where, where I want it to be. But it's, it's, it's a very good start. How about you? Um, that's awesome. How about you tell us like an in-depth story of how you ended up signing with Dirty Bird? So I was with uh, my old management company. And one of the guys... That, that worked with that company. It was it was actually one of Ozzy Osbourne's sons uh, that no one knows. He he's not like a he wasn't in the show or anything like that. And he was a, he was used to be quite a big DJ. Um, his name's Louis Louis Osborne. Um, and he I tried to send the stuff to Dirty Bird like a while, for a while, but didn't really get anything back. But back when Louis was a DJ, he he toured with uh, Claude for a couple of tours um, in Germany and 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 around Europe. Um, so he had a bit of a relationship with him, and we literally we sent him one EP, and Claude was like, "I like this," but I actually I actually acted. It, this was was not done on purpose, but I I used the same sample as a Zombie Disco Squad record that he just used. So I was like, Barkley was like, or Claude was like, I can't use this. Sorry, man. So then I just went back to the drawing board and wrote my first record on Dirty Bird, which is called Badness. And yeah, it, that we literally sent it to him and he was like, this is sweet. Can we have it? And I was like, oh, cool. This is, this is pretty cool. Um, and then literally probably a month after that, I sent him another EP and he signed that. And that was my first EP, which was Turn It Up and The Goog. And literally from that, from signing the EP, I would like, I'd Skype with, with Claude like once a month. Because obviously I was still in the UK then. I wasn't DJing any, I wasn't really DJing much at all. And then it just, it just kind of blossomed from there kept nice. in touch with everyone yeah it's it's like realistically when signing music again it go, it does go back to who who you know but you have to write good music um and that's the thing that i realized is that you have to write music that stands out it doesn't necessarily have to be the sound of the record label but it has to be good music and whether i and i know it's really hard to say what's good music and what's bad music. Obviously, it's all personal preference, but the label owner has to think it's good. Simple. So yeah. it's it's kind of people like how I want to sign records to Dirty Bird. I want to sign records to this label. I might just send it to them. 
like at the end of the day we live in a day and age where you can always find someone's email address you can you can hit somebody up on instagram you can dm people you can you can private message people on twitter you can tweet them you can hit them up on facebook there's like a million ways to get in touch with people nowadays yeah and yes with social media anything is possible yeah and I totally agree that makes it harder to sign to certain labels because they're like inundated with, with music. However, like I know Claude listens to everything he gets sent. Um, and I know a lot of labels listen to pretty much everything they get sent. So there's that thing is when people complain that oh, they're not getting their tracks listened to or they're not getting their records signed like well just keep keep working at it you just gotta keep working harder you can't give up on the like second try you have to email them like fucking every day (laughs) be that annoying guy that's just always in your face but the thing is if you're always in someone's face you have to have the good music to to, to back up i think kill frenzy did it that's how kill frenzy got got signed to dirty bird he he would like send barkley like pictures of like super hot girls in his emails <laughs> or something like that it was like it was like a girl's titties or a girl's booty or so, something crazy like that and like Barkley's like who the fuck is this dude and <laughs> and it was like it, it, it but that was something special right like it gets your attention it makes you think like oh shit this is cool um or like I'm just gonna have to listen to this for the, for the fun of it um, and that's how you got kill frenzy. Like, so I think it's, I think people, I think you just need to keep working at it. Really, that's so for all you, kind of what I did. So for all you people out there that are listening, make sure you take his advice and send pictures of girls and, <laughs> and butts to get the attention of famous record labels. Make sure to do that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, but I love how you said that because it did make him stand out, though. He did whatever it took to stand out. He found a way to, you know, stand out from the crowd. He, you know, got signed and people listened to his music and it worked, even though it was a funny way to do it, you know? Yeah. And, like, we're all normal people. Like, you can hit us up on Instagram. You can hit us up on anywhere. I listen to your music. Give you advice on your music. It, it's not. It's not hard to to ask and what's the worst someone can say is no it's not going to destroy your world it's not like someone's like hurting you if they say no they don't like it or no i I don't have the time to listen to it right now but send me an email i'll try and listen to it when i'm on the play just ask people yeah i love how you said that and i also want to step back a little bit because we're talking about you know once people are in that expert stage of you know ready to send their record label ready to you know make it to like the big leagues but how about we step back a little bit and, you know, tell us your beginning stories about, like, how you booked your first real gig or show. What do you class as your first real gig and first real show? Because I think, like, like I played a lot of shows when I was younger. But realistically, no one had a fucking clue who I was, if you know what I mean. I didn't have a following. Um, no one knew who I was. I was just, just that dude behind the decks. Okay, then what are you playing 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 music if that makes sense. Um, like I don't know what you class as a first real big show or my first ever time I got booked. Like was like, hey, Will, I want you to play. 
was actually there's a DJ called Sam Devine in the UK. She's pretty freaking big in the UK um, and Europe. I think she's trying. We're, we're, I think she's coming over America actually. Um, she's like a she's one of the big girls that on Defected. Um, so I used to buy my records from a shop um, in a local town near me uh, called Spin Central. And Spin Central was just like a local record shop for mostly like hard house. Like in the Southwest where I'm from, they fucking love hard house. And it's awful. It's the worst music ever. Sorry if there's any listeners that like hard house, but it's awful. Um, and I was literally the only dude that would go into the shop and buy house music. And Sam, Sam Devine, she worked at Spin Central as the house buyer. So like, I'd I'd go in like once a week. I I used to work at a fish and chip shop, like when I was a kid. So I I worked at the fish and chip shop. I'd like earn my money and then I'd go home, shower and change because I was stinking of fish and chips, and then I'd go straight to the to the the shop. My like my mum or da- or my dad would would take me to the to the shop and I'd spend all what I earned on on records then. And Sam was like we we got friendly uh and she would run a night in in western supermare and that was the first time she someone like called me and was like hey do you want to come and play for me um and then she was actually the first person to book me ever in ibiza uh she used to run a night in a small like workers bar called hush um and that was when i was 16 so i guess that that was my like being booked in ibiza was my first big thing i guess and how did i go about that that was just becoming friendly with the right people um and again going back to that building relationships up like i wasn't the best dj guaranteed i wasn't the best dj but like i was a i'm a nice guy (laughs) so people like me um i wasn't producing then so like i was producing but i wasn't no one knew that i was producing music like the music that I was writing a four-year-old could have made better music um (laughs) so like it wasn't the fact that I had any talents really she knew I could DJ she knew the music that I DJed because I bought a lot of it from the shop that she worked at and she was she she gave me a bit of bit of a chance really um and I was I was only 16 I wasn't technically legally allowed to play there (laughs) yeah you were young yeah I was young um so that's kind of where it started um my first ever booking I guess okay and then what do you consider your first big show where you exploded or do you do you have a a show like that or was it just you know like a progression of just I think yeah I think it's just a progression there's I don't know if there's any performances that like changes people people's careers and i'm only speaking for myself because like let's say for instance when daft punk did uh croatia not croatia um oh my god why can't why can't i think of the festival what's the famous festival in la i literally just played it um life is beautiful no 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 no. Uh, lightning in a bottle no, no, no. The bigger, the most famous one. Oh, I've got mind blank. 
EDC? Uh, no, that's in Vegas. Oh, 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 it's in LA. Um, LA. Wait, cut. Jason, did you really just guess that Life is Beautiful in EDC was in LA when Will asked that question? Come on, man. I know you're a little nervous to talk to Will, but you can't be guessing stupid stuff like that. Sorry for all you listeners out there. Let's get right back into the interview. Find this. I should know this 100% because it's like one of the most famous festivals in the world. Um, Coachella. Fuck. How did I forget that? (laughs) (laughs) Punk. Like, Daft Punk did a... uh, Did a... They did like a... It was a really iconic... I wasn't there. I wish I was, but I was. I've been told about it lots of times. But they did this really iconic. Um, what's it called? Iconic show at Coachella. This fucking like next level show that, and it was in the era where America didn't wasn't really into the dance music era. So they were like, "Whoa, what the fuck is this?" Like I can imagine that was like an iconic moment because. You're in you're in a festival where like all the industries there, all the celebrities are there, all the like rich and famous people that like ha- have a lot of power in lots of different industries are there. I can imagine that being an iconic show for them. However, like I don't feel like many people have that. Um, it's just they're literally like chiseling away and building and building and building and just making the most of what you can of of where you're at really and by really just interacting with your fan base playing the best sets you can possibly do and play making the best music you can possibly make we all have days where we have bad sets but a lot of the time they're not bad sets for the crowd a lot of the time it's just bad sets in our head and it's just the point the fact that you're not always going to have the best day of your life but you might have made somebody else's day the best day of their life. Which is kind of crazy if you think about it. Like, with with music, like, the power that you can have with music. And when you're playing festivals and club shows and you've got all these people watching you, like, that's kind of a good thing. Like, what we're... It, we're allowing people to escape from from their day-to-day life slash jobs kind of like serving a purpose and and I music is for me music music and film is the best way to do that and it's not necessarily escape but it's allowing people to just be f- like without sounding too fucking hippie it's allowing people to just be themselves and like n- there's no rules and there's like there's no no one judging you or anything like that you're literally you're just there doing it like going to enjoy yourself and listen to some good music and you don't have to worry about everything else that's happened that week um so i think it's easy for me to like for me to be like oh i didn't really enjoy that set but then on the social media after like i get hit up so many times and it's like damn these people did actually enjoy that set maybe i just need to change my frame of mind to like Mm -hmm. to be where they're at if that makes sense yeah and you are your biggest critic so that has something to do with it as well totally uh 100 yeah so since we're talking about 
playing shows and stuff like that, do you have certain tips that you'd like to give some of the listeners on how to create a great set? Dude, I think it's just practice. It's years of being years of practicing being a DJ in lots of different crowds. Um, when I was in Ibiza, I used to play for like 12 hours straight or like I'd do a seven hour set and then a five hour set. And then I'd go to, a, that was my day job. And then I'd go to a club and play another like four or five hours just by putting in the time, just like anything, you just have to put the time in. Um, and by being a DJ, especially nowadays, it's not necessarily about your skill of like mixing. The decks do it for you if you want. Like you have computers. The technology these days means that like the actual art of DJing, like you're not mixing vinyl. So you don't need to like actually worry about having beat matching um, and mixing. But you have to be able to entertain a crowd. And I think, and don't take this the wrong way, but in America, it's very... It's a, a very quick way to, to to become a DJ by jumping on a microphone, jumping on the decks and like screaming and shouting down a microphone and entertaining people that way. Um, personally, that's not my view of being a DJ. Like it's, it's a way of entertainment and it works and it's great. I think it's amazing that people can do that and like they're not really DJing. They're just playing records that they're just playing drop after drop after drop. Where for me, like I like to take take a crowd on like a, on a bit of a journey, even if it's like even if I can only play for an hour at a festival, like I like to be able to like give people stuff that they've they want to hear, give people stuff that is like new, and also give people stuff that's like a little bit deeper and like really take take someone on a journey throughout the the set, rather than like trying to play every banger in the world jump on the mic tell everyone to jump up and down for me that's not that's not what i want to do and and i think there's a, and, and don't get me wrong i'm not saying i'm a professional I, I'm, I wouldn't say i'm the best dj in the world but by put for me by putting in the hours and by really like learning how to read crowds um and really knowing music that really turn makes you from an, an average DJ to, to a good DJ. Um, but I'm still young. I'm still 20. I'm 28. Just turned like I have a lot of years to learn um, and a lot of practice to practice to, to get better. Yeah. So there's, I, I don't think as a DJ or as a performer, it's like, I don't think you've ever mastered an art. You're constantly learning. There's constantly new technology out there. Um, yeah. Gotcha. So in 2018, for someone that's who's just looking to get into it, you think they should worry solely on production when they start and just spend time in the studio and just keep tunnel vision? What I would say, give anyone advice to, is do what you absolutely love. And yes, I do find that if you have to write music, it's very hard to become a big DJ if you're not releasing music. But also, if you don't want to, if you don't want to release music, uh, then 
you're kind of just do what you love if it realistically like is it yes obviously everybody wants to be famous but you've got to really look at like are you willing to put the work in to to get to be where you're at or do you just want to dj like it's just about making decisions in your life and if you really really want to become a a full-time dj and become successful then you have to make those you have to put the hours in doing whatever you do like you just have to put the hours in yeah desire love and self-motivation will take you a long way of being a full-time dj is what you want to be well it's, it's doing anything it's like yeah doing anything yeah it's like being a sprinter in the olympics like these guys they're born fast but they're not born that fast if you know what i mean these guys have a talent but and they're born with a talent but they still work every fucking day to to get better and i think that's what people like you often hear the term like you like an artist becomes famous overnight 99.9% of the time they don't they've worked fucking years and years and years to get to where they're at so it's 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 just that hard work and determination really blood sweat and tears gotcha i love that analogy that you made with sprinters because it really is true anything you if you're born with a talent to make music but if you don't work on that talent then you're not gonna get too far in your career especially in today's age yeah there is definitely i i actually know i know a lot of producers that are a lot better producers than me but they don't want it as much as me they don't they don't want to put the hours in as much as me. They don't want to, they won't finish records because they're per- perfectionists. They, they won't, they want to go out with their friends instead. They want to go to parties instead. They're not willing to put the hours in that I do to get to where I'm at, if you know what I mean. And there's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of very talented people. However, if you're happy doing that, then great. Just don't fucking moan if you're not getting anywhere because you're not putting the work in and that is simple that is the simple thing is if you don't you'll you'll eventually get there if you put the hours in simple i love that so much with anything that's very true and so i also want to transition to a different topic Um, this will be our last topic for our listeners but what is your when you're making music in the studio what is your personal remedy to combating your writer's block um just depends writer's block everyone has but it's a very individual thing so i do lots i do lots of things sometimes i step away from from the studio sometimes i just work on a new project and just write loads of little ideas and just keep writing and writing until i get somewhere um sometimes i'll go and watch a film sometimes i go for a walk Sometimes I go to the gym um, if I hadn't been already that day. I, sometimes I call my family. I call my mum or my dad up, just have a conversation. Sometimes I call my friends up. Sometimes I go on YouTube and watch like inspirational videos. <laughs> um, sometimes I just go and listen to some like some of my favorite records, um, house and not house music, and and just really try and get inspiration from those. Um, and then sometimes I'm just going to, I'll be like, 
Okay, so I don't know what to write. Let me copy something. And I'll find a record that I really like, and I'll just copy it and just see what comes out of it. Because I'm never going to be able to copy it exactly the same. And sometimes I'll be like, right, I really like this drum beat, so I'm going to steal it from someone's record and then just write a, write a record around that. And then eventually, if I really like it, I'll rewrite the drum beat. I'll do something else, and it's my own record. There's there's loads loads of ways I get around it, but realistically, it's fucking annoying, and it can really get to you, like mentally, um, especially when there's like pressure on. Mainly, the pressure is only the, the pressure that I put on myself. I'm quite an impatient person, and I want to write good records. But How much sometimes... time do you spend a week writing records? At this moment in time, I'm I'm not writing as much as I want to be because I'm doing other things as well, like the clothing company and like organizing a lot of things like that. But if I didn't have any of those things to do, and if I had a completely free like Monday to Thursday, obviously I'm touring Friday, Saturday to Sunday. If I have Monday to Thursday like with no other work arrangements, no other meetings, no interviews or anything like that. I will literally write. I My schedule is I wake up around 7.30, 8 in the morning. I go to the gym for an hour. I come home, shower. And then I'll just go in the studio. And I'll be in the studio till from like 10 in the morning till sometimes five at night and then i'll cook dinner i go during the day i'll go to the grocery store go to the but in the uk like my schedule like i'll go to the butchers i'll get some like really nice fresh food um for the evening and then i'll stop around five five to eight p.m i'll cook some food for me my friends or my family and then if i don't have anything on in the evening i'll then go back in the studio or i'll go watch a film um, so like literally my whole days revolve around making music um, if I've got that time where I'm not doing other things that have to be done yeah I I enjoy writing music so why would I not want to do it uh, yeah exactly I, I struggle when it's like on a plane or in a hotel um, it's not my favorite time to write music although I've I've just written I've just done a remix for uh, Green or for Cashmere Percolator. I did that on a plane and it worked and I really haven't done much else to it. I did it in my headphones and it worked well. So I played it and it's coming out end of July. Um, so there's it. doing plane work is like, it's not fun, but it's good to like chuck down a few ideas. Same as being in a hotel. But then there's sometimes when you're like, when the work actually it turns into work and you're like okay i've just got a remix coming i am touring for the next three weeks i don't have a studio and they need the remix in two weeks like what the fuck am i going to do and that's when i'm like okay i have to i have to work in in the in the hotel room um and it's like you literally all plans get chucked out the window i sit down at the desk and write a remix and then there's some days where you're just like, I really just want to write a record when you're on the road and you just sit down and write records. 
So it, it all just depends on, for me, it all depends on like how I feel mentally, really. And and where I'm at at that moment and where I'm at at that time of day or if I've just heard something in the street or heard a sample that I could want to use or had an idea that popped up in my head. It, I ha- I like work, I write most of my vocals myself. So I, or that I wouldn't call them vocals, they're just like phrases. Um so like I spend a lot of time just chucking ideas in my phone um, on like on notes and just writing things down and just take things from there, really. Nice, nice. And do you find it extremely challenging to think of new, you know, like when someone puts you on a spot like that when you're traveling, when you're on the road, is it really hard to, you know, really buckle down and focus on music when you have so many other things going on? Um, No, not really. Um. It's just, I just, I like to be in a nice environment to write music. And for me, a hotel room or an airplane isn't a nice environment. But also, like, let's say for instance, if it's a remix, like, it depends on the original and whether or not you like the original. Because I won't do remixes that I don't like the original, but there's some remixes I absolutely love the original. So I'm like, fuck, I need to do a really good job of this because I love the original so much. And there's some cases where I do a remix and I'm like, well, the original's good, but I'm going to completely change this. Like, you're not even going to know that this is a remix. And then I just have all like free reign of everything. Recently, I've done a lot of remixes that like have vocals on. So like, my U2 remix that I've just done or that just got released a, a couple of months ago, like I had to use the vocals of U2 because otherwise it'd be like, well, what's the fucking point? So like you kind of have, what is it? You kind of have like boundaries, if that makes sense. You have to, you have to use certain parts. And then there's, is always that, do I, have I used too many vocals? Or have I used not enough? So it is, it's, personal preference on each project really um but i think at the end of the day it's just experimenting and winging it and just seeing if you can make something good out of it the amount of shit music i make is amazing um <laughs> so <laughs> it's just like like some of the stuff like and i play some of it out and it works but i would never release it it i i like writing music just to so I can play it in my sets. I don't send it to anyone. I might give it to a few friends that I know might like it, but it never gets released. And I've got records that I've sent to friends and they absolutely love it and I still fucking can't stand it. Um, and they play it more than I do. So it's just, again, it goes back to that personal personal opinion on something. When I release a record, I'm at that point where I'm like, this is no longer my record. Is it's the public's record. It's, it's all my fans. It's all the all the people that don't know who I am. It's their time to just make their opinion on it and just deal with it. And if people don't like it, they don't like it. It's, there's nothing I can do about that. Um, YouTube's a classic one for like haters hating you. <laughs> um, I was taking the piss the other day. Like I did a remix of MK17. And there was just like loads of YouTube comments were like, this is awful. This is nothing like the original. I'm like, bro, it's a fucking remix. It's not supposed to be anything like the original. But like, you know what? That's absolutely fine. I don't, I don't really take things to heart because 
it's it's just art at the end of the day. You could see a Picasso on the on the wall and be like, yeah, don't like it. But the, <laughs> that Picasso to somebody else is like worth more than their fucking house and that, that's all they want in their life. Music's exactly the same. It's just what, for me it is anyway. It's just whatever anyone, it's what it makes you feel and what it makes other people feel is, is their it's their kind of it's it's their opinion. It's 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 what they can say. Yeah, I do love how you talk about how it is art and it is personal opinion, and that's why you can't let other people's opinions get so close to your heart or take it seriously. You gotta have short term memory and just keep chugging along and focus on the people that do like your music and keep producing music for your fans and your audience. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's it. It's there's come points where like I'm like, should I release this? Like I really like this record, but it's very different to what I'm known to release. And that's for me, that's where I'm still like sometimes nervous. I'm still not fully co- like fully a hundred percent confident in like my decisions. But every time I've had that, it's it's done pretty well especially the like the most recent remixes that I've done they're a lot deeper they're a lot more melodic to what I would usually write and people like like them a lot and I'm don't get me wrong I'm sure that I don't hear about the people that don't like them because not many people are fucking idiots and will and will tweet and be like yo will your last remix sucks dick like people there's not many people like that there's a lot of dicks on the internet but there's not many people like that um so I don't know all the people that don't like it, of course. And I know there's going to be people that don't like my music. Totally. I want there to be people that don't like my music because it, is, it's, it gives me a chance to win people over. Um, but it's kind of just like, it is what it is. You just got to carry on. And if people don't like it, then you'll be releasing another record in a month's time or two months time. And hopefully people like that. Really? Um, yeah. I love everything you said right there. It's definitely something that a, a tough reality that most people that are starting out need to hear. Not everyone's going to like your work and, and winning them over is a big part of it. But I feel like I've, <laughs> we definitely passed our time limit for the amount of time I'd have you on. And I just want to thank you again so much for coming on the show, but can you leave us with some exclusive information about some of your upcoming tracks and your shows? Yeah, sure, dude. Um, so one one thing that I've just started, I've started a group called the Cuddle Club um, on Facebook, uh, and it's open. It's a closed group, but anyone can join. Um, and in that group, we do like I do free giveaways for like merchandise. I like interact with my fans. I offer to take people out on on show um, for dinner before shows and things like that. So tell everybody to to join that. It's called the Cuddle Club on Facebook. You can find it on my socials or just dm me and i can send people links to it to 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 get involved so that's one place to get all your information recent releases coming up i have a release on dirty bird to friday it comes out actually which is on claw von strokes live in detroit album uh, which is actually a record from myself and born dirty which is called boss man it's very like hard techno-y kind of record and then on the 27th of July, I have a record. I have two records, like an EP coming out in uh, Green Velvet's label, Relief. Uh, that's the per- 
Percolator remix and a, a new original from me called Mercy. Um, I also have uh, I have a lot of records coming out. I have an EP coming out on Shiva Sands label. I have an EP coming out on Salado's label, Solar Music, which is a collaboration EP between me and Bot, which is a follow-up from our techno record. Um, and then uh, towards the end of the year, I'm going to actually launch my own label um, called Doing It Records with... Yeah, I'm just trying to do something a little bit different on the label. I don't want to talk too much about it because... I need to finalize some ideas, um, but you can follow doing it records on all of the socials. It's just doing it records. Um, the same with doing it for the cuddles. Um, and my socials are DJ will Clark. And that's it. Perfect. Thank you so much Will, for coming on the show. I love talking today and yeah, thank you so much, man. No, dude, thanks for having me and uh, good luck with the show. Hope it all goes well. And uh, oh yeah, I'd love to have you back on the show sometime soon. Yeah, dude, I'm down. I'm always down. You've got my number. Hell yeah, let's do it. All right, thank you, guys. Um, That's it for today's episode, and we'll see you later. Take care, dude. Bye. Take care, man. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that episode because I know I did. Will Clark is such a funny character, such a great guy to talk to, and he has a work ethic that I will definitely admire for a long time. Talking to him was a blast, and I hope you got a lot out of that episode because he had some great tips to give and his story is definitely one to listen to. If you want to learn more about electronic apparel and about Will, be sure to check the show notes after you finish listening to this episode. Again, this episode is brought to you by Electronic Apparel Company, a company designed to create great-looking gym, festival, and everyday clothing for our beautiful, fit, and healthy electronic music lovers. Be sure to check out our website at Electronic Apparel Co. for more information. And I want to leave you off with one thing. If you are an experienced producer that feels as though he or she has some great information to offer for all of our fellow musicians out there, please inquire us and DM us at Electronic Apparel Co. on our Instagram. Thank you so much and have a great rest of your week.